welcome listeners welcome welcome listeners this is the religious studies project for the 19th of november 2018 and that means that black friday is coming up um so we always tee up our amazon.co.uk.com and .ca links but if you're going to take advantage of any of those things, particularly in the lead up to the festive period, uh, you click through from our website, it brings in all the tasty dollar. And from a podcast that needs money to a religion that makes money. What have we got this week, Chris? Oh, well, thanks, David. Um, just so that we get our names in there. David Robertson, Chris Cutter. Boom. Uh, yes, we've got a, <laughs> a roundtable discussion. Um, with um, some excellent folk. Um, it's on the topic of new directions in the study of Scientology recorded in Belfast back in September between, uh, Stephen Gregg, who has been a regular, um, Christmas special contestant, but never been a contributor in this sense. He also appeared in our BSR Future of the Religious Studies episode last year with Stephen Gregg, um, Alid Thomas, who is done some interviews for us um, and has served as our social media editor for a while and also the inestimable inimitable Carol Cusack um, who's been interviewed many times and has won Christmas specials and all sorts of things. Scholar and force of nature. And also David Robertson um, who's got a, a, a sort of hat in the ring in the Scientology scholarship world as well. Indeed. So I'm looking forward to hearing this and looking forward to um, all, all the controversy. Let's do it. Let's have it. So we're here at the uh, BASR conference uh, 2018 in Belfast, and I have gathered several colleagues together today um, to have a discussion about Scientology. Um, The idea of sort of new directions in the study of Scientology, how do we move the conversation about Scientology forward? Um, there's there's a large number of different directions we can go in in that conversation, so I'm not going to constrain it at this point by saying exactly what I, what I mean by that. Um, but we're going to start off by looking at some some interesting uh, data and approaches, and move into a discussion of the larger methodological issues about the study of Scientology in relationship to NRMs and other uh, you know more established religious traditions. And, uh, and and then end the conversation by opening it out to some um, interesting responses in the coming week. Um, but for now, I'm going to start by um, uh, going around the table and asking my colleagues to introduce themselves, uh, starting with... I'm Carol Kizak. I'm the Professor of Religious Studies at the University of Sydney, and I have a long-standing interest in Scientology. Hi, I'm uh, Alan Thomas. I'm a PhD candidate at The Open University. And uh, my research is on free zone Scientology. Hello, I'm Stephen Gregg. I'm the BASR Honorary Secretary and Senior Lecturer in the Study of Religions at the University of Wolverhampton. And I've taught and researched Scientology for a number of years now. Where I think we should maybe start is, um, I know that you two have both been working on uh, apostasy and free zone and things like that. Let's start there because that seems to be... Uh, an area where the normal, I some you know the cliche ideas of Scientology as a sort of cult uh, maybe start to break down, and we can start to um, tr- measure out some of these fault lines in the idea. Well, I suppose yeah. The first response to that is sort of one of the problems, or the inherited problems, if you like, in the study 
of Scientology for, for a number of years now, A, is that it's been under-researched uh, and under-published, actually. That, that's a problem uh, for source material for students uh, in particular. Um, but the, the research that has been done has essentialized the Church of Scientology as Scientology, in that they're one and the same. Uh, and that's problematized the media's relationship with Scientology, public discourse on Scientology, and interdisciplinary research uh, on Scientology. So, I mean, the first step really is to begin to understand Scientologies beyond the church, I think. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. And um, when considering the free zone, which is an umbrella term for all Scientologists outside the Church of Scientology, um, it's important to remember that simply because they are outside of the Church of Scientology doesn't mean that they are united. There's this assumption that the Free Zone is united uh, against the Church for either institutional reasons or uh, interpretation of L. Ron Hubbard's works. Um, but uh, from my research, I found that there's a huge degree of innovation in Scientology. Uh, in Freeze on Scientology and the way uh, Freeze on Scientologists uh, conduct their auditing sessions, um, how they identify, and also their perception of Hubbard. It's a much more complicated issue than what is Scientology and what does the Church believe. And if, if I can jump, jump back in again, um, I mean, you mentioned the sort of, you know, the dreaded C word, you know, David. Um, and I think part of that perpetuation of that problem is that we have a dominant narrative from X members. Um, I've used the term apostate in a sort of chapter recently, and I know that's a, a contested term. Um, but uh, if we sort of just use the more general ex-members, uh, then of course their relational identity is often against the established church. So it perpetuates this domination of the church as this uh, cult-like uh, figure, if you like, or organization, because of the noisy apostates who often, and you know, Bromley wrote about career apostates, you know, have often made a career out of this. They publish books. You go on Amazon at the moment with self-publishing. I can't keep up with the number of apostate testimonies now. I used to read them all. Go back a few years, I, I would you know, systematically read every one. I can't keep up with them anymore. It's a, it's a mini industry of ex-member testimonies coming out of Scientology now. You know That's a huge area of research uh, in itself. But of course, that perpetuates the public discourse on this sort of bad religion, negative religion, cult sort of dynamic that, of course, you know, in NRM studies, we've tried to reject for a number of years now. It's very important, though, Stephen, to realise that that ex-member tsunami um, has only been possible for 10 years. 2008 mm. is the hinge year mm. for when the anonymous campaign, Project Chainology, yes, begins. Course, yeah. It's when the crew's... Um, accepting the medal speech goes yes. viral yeah, and yeah. a lot of people begin realising. The couch. Yes, yes the couch. <laughs> and there's also, um, there was also the death of Jet Travolta mm. around mm. the same time. And so there's a whole lot of things that happened there. And I would like to say something about the scholarship on Scientology to date. Um, when Donald Westbrook's What Say the Scientologists, the Church of Scientology's History, Theology and Practices in Ethnographic Perspective is published by OUP, it will be only the fourth monograph on Scientology since nine, the 1970s when Roy Wallace published The Road to Total Freedom. Yeah. And that's all linked to this 2008 as a hinge year because the Scientologists who at that point were the church most definitely spent a lot of money and effort 
harassing and suing and shutting down anyone who wanted to talk about the church. And, and indeed, Roy Wallace actually uh, talked with them about his manuscript and showed his manuscript before yes. publication. And the second great monograph on yeah. um, uh, Scientology, which is Harriet Whitehead, sure. was of course published under such an anonymous name and it was also published after Hubbard's death, and it was her doctoral research, which she'd done at least 15 years earlier yeah. and didn't feel that she was free yeah. to publish. And so what it was called, renunciation and reintegration in an American sect. That's and it's like, how would you know that was Scientology? That's yes. why a lot of people nowadays don't even know that book exists. Sure. It's very rarely referenced. So I was just going to say, the real issue, the thing that's changed, is that we've got 24-hour news cycle, we've got free media being distributed on YouTube, we've got the absolute collapse of copyright. Mm. So Scientology used to also use copyright law. The mm. church used copyright law as a way of keeping their materials out of the public eye, and that's not possible. No, anymore. that counts out the back. And, yeah, I, I mean, I've written recently about that sort of idea of blowback that um, – Scientology, by keeping a tight control of that material and, and being um, reactive, uh, you know, um, litigious, have encouraged the idea of suspicion um, from the media uh, that um, it, it's, it's that uh, if you've been sued by Scientology, you're much more likely to celebrate the fact that when somebody, you know, gets the boot in, to them, kind of thing, um, but but that doesn't really explain why the situation's so different for Scientology in academia. Why is it that there's been so few um, monographs, for instance? Uh, are there any other equivalent uh, situations where we have such um, significant and, and rich kind of traditions or figures to look at that are that are just kind of beyond the pale within academia? What, what is it about Scientology that's made that happen? Well, there are two things, again, and it, these are not the whole answer, but I think they work. Um, one is that what I just mentioned, that the Church of Scientology kept very close control on any academic that was anywhere near them, and the academics were aware that they could be not only sued but personally harassed and that their families and people that they cared about could get into trouble. Um, so very little was ever published because even people who did projects on Scientology generally didn't want to risk putting them in the public um, eye. And really, Hugh Urban's monograph, which I think is 2011, isn't it? That's the first post-2008 monograph, and Westbrook will be the next, and still shows that it's it's slow to develop. But the second thing, which I think is equally important, is that some of the noisy ex-members actually did a great service themselves by publishing. John Attack is the obvious example, since A Piece of Blue Sky came out very, very early in the conversation, really. But he is part of now a kind of global network of ex-members who accuse new religious movement scholars of being cult apologists if they say anything good about any religion. And the other groups that might be comparable for example, like the Unification Church, there's been more published on that than on Scientology, uh, or, for example, ISCOM, similarly. And the issue was, of course, that the academics used to more or less be coaxed and sometimes even paid by those groups. And consequently, the ex-member networks 
are vociferous in discounting that research. Right. So you're caught, if you like, in a pincer movement. On one occasion, one side, you've got the Scientology response, which is they control what you write, they harass you if you publish the wrong stuff. On the other side, you've got the people who hung out with Bhagwan and with Moon and with ISCOM, and they're all tarred with the brush of being cult apologists. So in some ways, publishing in new religious movements really until comparatively recently was always uh, very difficult and generally not a good career move. Uh, sorry, just to pick up on what Carol was saying about the small amount of monographs. And in addition to the monographs, there's a slowly increasing number of journal articles and chapters and so on on Scientology. And uh, James Lewis has mentioned in the past about how the church has of late abandoned their framed approach of suing and taking legal action against any critics. And um, in in recent years, I've, I've found that the, the church's latest uh, method of countering critics is to uh, claim for religious legitimacy and to accuse of religious discrimination. They've set up an organization called STAND, which is Scientologists Taking Action Against Discrimination. And um, th their website has sections on hate bloggers or even false experts, with Margaret Singer being mentioned and so on. Um, that That is... That in itself plays into how academics are currently received by the church, because if an academic is perceived as being, uh, or at least attempting to be as objective as possible, then they can avoid the C, the dreaded C word, and uh, and be presented as a new religious movement. And Donald Westbrook has mentioned himself that there's this improving relationship between the Church of Scientology and the scholar. But I also think that's very subjective to what the scholar is actually studying. And in, and in Westbrook's case, he was doing a history of the Church of Scientology. He was concentrated on the church. And he had a very insider, very interesting experience. And by insider, I mean he was able to take part in the Pirif and so on. He was um, able to conduct an enormous amount of rich interviews. You tell us what the, the Purif is. Oh, sorry. The, pur the Purif is a uh, shortened term for the Purification Rundown, which is a Scientology detoxification program that new members are encouraged to take part in. Um, but I, f I find that the, the Church of Scientology is still curious to know exactly what an academic's research entails and what the goal is before they're willing to let that person come in to a certain extent, and how much they can see. Well, I, I was certainly challenged on my uh, my first publication on Scientology uh, by um, a chap who was uh, fairly high up, or had been uh, high up um, in uh, SecJack. Is, is that the right the right name? I don't, yeah. don't know if they call it that anymore, but it, that office, um, because I'd used the word conspiracy and Scientology in the same article. Although the article itself was actually... Um, you know, it was it was fairly. Uh, I wasn't making any outrageous claims. I was actually saying we need to take these people seriously, and and scholarship isn't doing that. But because I used the word conspiracy, they were they were quite unhappy about it. Um, and I, I actually, ironically, I had to adopt a Scientology um, steely gaze as he repeatedly attacked me. So uh, there was a certain irony there. Um, so I think the kind of scholarship that you're doing. Makes uh, makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I think there's definitely uh, interesting data there in the way in which the way uh, religion, cult, new religion stuff are being wielded uh, by various actors. Well, that's interesting, David, because I was going to pick up, <clears throat> excuse me, on something that Carol said earlier when you sort of used uh, Attack as your example, because it's these different actors, these different interested partners who are all negotiating in a sort of public sphere ownership of what Scientology is and how Scientology fits in. And so, uh, you know, with NRM scholars um, uh, sort of, you know, sort of striving down the, this path uh, of trying to understand the, these traditions, we're not the voice that, for example, media often wants to hear. Um, I, I was called up by a conservative radio station not too long ago asking us to talk about uh, Scientologists going into schools doing a Narconon anti-drugs program. Uh, the head teachers hadn't realised uh, that it was Scientology. They'd had a bit of a tantrum when they did realise they wanted someone to just talk about this in general. Fine. Perfectly happy to do that. Um, I was phoned up. The producer told me 30 seconds before broadcast that they were dropping the uh, article because of a breaking news story. Well, fine. Well, not being born yesterday, I tuned in and listened to John Attack, who they'd chosen instead of me, to say that Scientology was a cult, was a, a demon-worshipping cult, I think he said at one point, a death cult, he said at another point. Um, and so we get this sort of contestation of the narrative. Uh, and so it's very difficult for NRM scholars to find a voice if public discourse and media isn't interested in that voice, because I don't have the human interest story of being the ex-member. But we don't hear the same argument regarding Steiner schools, for instance. No. And, and this fact, is the yeah. thing that confuses me. Why is it that this is something that Scientology it seems to particularly attract, but we don't hear in other places? <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. And in fact, the first thing I said to this radio producer was, well, hang on a minute. Would you have asked the same question if they came from a Jewish or a Christian background? And she sort of hesitated and went, no. And I said, well, exactly. So uh, Scientology is treated differently. You know, the question is why. I think it's a two-way street, isn't it? Part of it is uh, previous spokespeople of the church have sometimes been more confrontational mm. than perhaps a PR guru would advise you to be. Uh, I can think of the sort of infamous John Sweeney documentaries of sort of, gosh, 10, 12 years ago now, aren't they? Where he turned into a human tomato and I thought he was going to explode when he was in the anti-psychiatry event. Um, but um, Tommy Davis did not cover himself in glory. You know, one doesn't have to be uh, an apologist or a critic of the church, you know, to realise that neither of those two gentlemen behaved in a proper way. You know, no one came out of that very well. And so when you've got this sort of confrontational um, MO, if you like, that's going to put people's backs up. Sorry to interrupt the episode, but we just wanted to let you know to remind you about our Patreon link. Uh, the Religious Studies Project has always been free since its inception, um, but we know that there's a great problem in academia with uh, people not being paid for the work that they're expected to do, particularly early career scholars. And we at the RSP want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you can help if you can spare even £1 a month um, by going to patreon.com slash Project RS and subscribing. We know that these podcasts are very useful for people who are teaching and people in their learning. So if you can help um, either by subscribing there or by making a one-off donation using the PayPal button on our website, it'd be greatly appreciated and will help us keep bringing you this podcast for free and fight against exploitation in academia. But now, back to the episode. The other thing is, of course, that there are real questions about Scientology. And when you think about the institutional church. They're probably not any different to the questions that might be asked, for example, 
about the whole Rajneesh experiment because there were certainly crimes that were involved. Same actually with ISKCON after Bhaktivedanta Swami died. But we do know that Scientology um, engages in practices that have been taken to court by various ex-members. The most obvious ones are forced labour and slavery because of the lack of um, legal and, and reasonable wages. There has also been the forced abortions argument from women from the Sea Org. Um, there are situations with the Rehabilitation Project Force, uh, the most important book on Scientology written by a journalist in Australia on Scientology in Australia, the only book, Steve Kinane's Fair Game, reveals the really terrible things that go on mm. in what used to be a Catholic boys' school that the Scientologists have bought and turned into their RHP in, in Sydney's northern suburbs. Well, there's an irony in that straight away, isn't there, Carol? Because, of course, when we have crimes that are committed within a religious organisation, when that is a minority organisation, it somehow is reported or perceived in society differently to the majority when, for example, I mean, we're sitting in Ireland, northern, on the island of Ireland at the moment, in Northern Ireland, uh, we're talking about Australia, between those two countries and everywhere in between we've had the Catholic abuse scandals, and yet the church seems to be continuing, strengthening in some parts of the world. You know, 800,000 people came out to welcome the Pope in Dublin in the last week. You know, there's a different response, and that surely is about sort of the social capital that these, and the political capital that these organisations have. Scientology doesn't have that. It's a minority movement. It's easier to beat with a stick. Oh, absolutely. And I have no problem with that at all. What the main reason why being a new religious movement specialist is not generally a good career move is that very few departments that study religion in whatever methodological point of view or whatever, um, whether they're named as religious studies departments or not, mostly the big business is the big traditional world religions paradigm because they can, they consist of like two-thirds of the planet or whatever. And so if you're going to be interested in a minor, small religion, you're going to be possibly not doing your career a favour, but also that religion will be in an awkward kind of space publicly because somehow being able to see the origin point, being able to know that it dates from a registration in California in February 1954 means that there is... This credibility gap, maybe? Is that the way of putting it? It could be. Uh, we have a problem with sort of chronology in that we seem to sort of validate things just because they're old. You know, something just because something's tenacious doesn't make it worthy, to quote Tim Minchin. So, I mean, you know, that that's problematic. That's a problem that we're always facing in new religious movements. That's something, ironically, that the Church of Scientology is using in itself in its response to the squirrels. Um, the, the derogatory term towards the free zone and anybody doing Scientology apart from them is that they were founded by others. They are the original form of Scientology mm -hmm. and there's a superiority to that and that's present in the way that they present themselves and then in the way that scholarship has addressed Scientology that so much research on Scientology as you've previously mentioned Stephen has just concerned the Church of Scientology so there is still that prejudice towards the the superiority of the older movements. 
But the free zone people and many of the squirrels would make the ones who are not actually practicing Scientology but merely have appropriated tech and used it for something else. They are very likely to say that actually they're interested in Hubbard too, and it's not Hubbard that's the problem. It's the institutional church that's the problem. Because they may well be practicing what they see as a purer form of Hubbard's original text. One thing that strikes me um, from this discussion is – uh, jumping off what Carol was talking about in terms of you know being an NRM scholar is not good for your career. Um, it occurs to me that one thing, <laughs> I'm, you know, <laughs> and I think all of us around this table uh, understand that um, in a very real way. Um, but one thing that's different about studying Scientology is I can't think of a single insider scholar. Now, a lot of these kind of um, NRMs and other, you know, I'm thinking of things like paganism particularly, um, there's a strong, they become established in academia through largely insider scholars. Um, and that's not uh, that's not to say that there aren't people who aren't insider scholars and that all of those insider scholars are necessarily bad scholars. But there, there is a, a drive for, um, you know, scholarly insiders that like sort of establish the, the field and that seeps out and it becomes more acceptable. I can't think of any example in Scientology like that. Well, there's a half example. Um, he's been mentioned already, uh, John Attack, because his research for A Piece of Blue Sky actually started as an official biography of Hubbard from the church and commissioned by the church. And when he did the research, he came across uh, issues that you know were uh, counter to the narrative of the hagiographies uh, of the church. That's normal. Every religion, every religious leader has hagiographies around them. Um, but you know, as an insider, that sort of blew his mind. Um, and so that was part of his progression out of Scientology and the creation of a piece of blue sky. Um, but that's the closest example I can think of. Yes, and, that's and a definitely long time ago, and only half an example. Definitely, <laughs> with something like the Unification Church, yeah. most of the people you know, you think about Michael Mickler, um, those people with the family, Claire Borovic, um, they're insiders, and and they're people who contribute regularly the chapters on Unificationism yeah. and the family to edited volumes on Nerms and so on and so forth. They may not be necessarily insider scholars. But th- there I can think of a few examples of insider Scientologists who are now trying to take part in academic discourse. Um, in that, for example, I was at the uh, Scientology and Scholarly Perspective Conference in Antwerp, in Belgium, a few years ago. And um, there were representatives of the Church of Scientology there, which is fine. And it was great to get their input. But, uh, but I'm also aware that there are church members We've recently given papers at semi-academic conferences on Scientology, despite having no academic credentials mm-hmm. or even necessarily presenting an academic and in inverted commas paper. But there is this increased interest in what the academic community are doing and trying to take part in it, mm-hmm. arguably rather than pushing it away. Mm-hmm. But um, that that is becoming a little more frequent. That's, that's is that the beginning of a dialogue? Do you think is that? I think it depends. I go yeah. to Cessna and there are yeah. always Scientologists mm. at Cessna. And mostly they well. are yes. not um, very interested in dialoguing. Mm. They're interested in monologuing. Well, that's why yes. I wonder whether this was a new... Do you see what I mean? I wondered if there was a new no, direction. The there. one I was studying, yeah. the, the confrontation I had was at an informed related mm. event as well. Okay. So. 
the ones that I'm aware of uh, that Scientologists have spoken of recently, it, it's um, they've been events promoting religious freedom, um, which is a big thing for the Church of Scientology at the moment. So I think it depends on what sort of conference mm-hmm. you're at. It wouldn't happen. I'd be very surprised if it happened at the BASL. Um, but as Carol was saying, it's it's a monologue. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a promotion. It's putting forward a worldview. Um, it would be interesting to see if we were present at one of these events, if we could strike up a dialogue. Mm-hmm. But uh, that would remain to be seen. Of course, I've come across that from other sort of insider scholars. I'm thinking back to the IHR at Erfurt a couple of years ago, and there was a panel uh, organised by Brigham Young University, uh, and there were sort of early archival uh, uh, talks on um, uh, early letters and, and papers uh, um, from some of the sort of Mormon leaders back in the day, um, and and that was that was a monologue. That was you know it, that was a, a hagiography. That you know so I mean we kind of expect it from different traditions, but it's that maybe Scientology, had, because it's focused on the tech, because the tech is the solution and the answer, then surely the time of the research of the insider needs to go into perfecting the practice of the tech. Is academic engagement, here's a question, is academic engagement therefore superfluous if all you need is the tech? I'm not going to try to answer. No, that. I just, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not expecting a simple answer. I was no, 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 ho- I'm, I'm jumping in just, to, yeah. just because dead air and radio. Is, <laughs> um, but, uh, one thing I wanted to raise, which has occurred to me, um, I don't think that Scientology particularly fits the model of the of the cult in as as we normally see it particularly well. It seems to me that some of the attempts to label it as dangerous seem a little forced sometimes. For instance, I can think there's no sex scandals as far as I'm aware, certainly no major ones in the church. I mean, compared to the other sort of controversial cults, there's there's nothing like that. There's no, you know, mass suicides, there's no stockpiling of arms. There's it seems a little uh a little strained even like there like there is a desire to force into a pre-existing model, which is based on kind of 60s stuff. Well, I think rather than sort of some sort of apocalyptic event, as it were, or preparation for such an event that we've seen in other movements, it's more uh, this perception uh, of the negative aspect, if you like, uh, of Scientology, is about control, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's about control from a very, very hierarchical uh, institution, control of bodies, uh, control of uh, uh, freedom, uh, or perceived control, you know, one, one, one should say. Um, and so it's it's that overarching sort of perception of that rather than one event, I think, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is what sort of, you know, fuels that. Yeah, no, and I, th- I think the, the idea of the, the hierarchical control and control of bodies is a very important part of that model. But that's, that's, that's what I'm saying, actually, that mm. the attempt to do that is, is relatively... Um, it's relatively weak compared to a lot of others. I mean, if you look at, you know, the family or something like that, you, mm. you know, the control of bodies, it's real, but it's, it's relatively small. I mean, it's much mm. smaller than the Catholic Church. For instance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, uh, the, the, even the hierarchical structure is, you know, as Alan's been arguing, it's to ignore the fact that Scientology is much mm. larger than the Church of Scientology yeah. and it's much larger than any um, sort of uh, uh, messianic kind of, you know, is, is one distinction that we could think about the fact that almost everything that's come out in the uh, memoir genre, it's not even the Church of Scientology, it's the Sea Org. 
And so far, we haven't even talked about the idea that there is an inner church within Scientology, which is in fact the site of most of the violence and the weirdness Mm. and the critique that comes from within. Well, well, this is something that that Alad and I have have just uh, finished a chapter together that will come out with Equinox uh, next year. Um, And it's looking at different types of identity both within the church and in the free zone and relational identity. And, and there are different types of insiders because of this hierarchical nature, not just of the structure of the organization, but of the bridge to total freedom. If you're at a different point on the bridge, then you're a very different type of insider to someone at a higher or a lower point uh, on the bridge. And so we have these sort of sub-clusters, these different groups of groups um, who will have different knowledge and different experience of the church. So Kara's absolutely right. These noisy apostates, if you like, to use a term that, that George Crusaders and I have used in a, a recent chapter, you know, they're from this central power base, you know, usually the Sea Org and indeed the uh, RTC, the Religious Technology Centre themselves, when you think of people like my, uh, uh, Rinder, for example, you know. Um, so it is from that central power base. Really interesting. I am aware of, of time passing and what I'd, what I'd like to do to end is uh, we're relatively unusual in this podcast in that I know that the respond- who the respondents are going to be from and uh, I, we're going to have Bernard uh, Doherty writing response to this. Um, uh, so I want to sort of anticipate the question I'm going to be asking him now. And what I want to do is go around the table and, and ask, where do we go from here um, in the you know scholarship on, on Scientology, uh, scholarship in relation to Scientology? Um, what avenues do we need to follow? Um, where do we see this going? Uh, you know, what needs to change? Uh, quite o- an open question, I realise, but we've got three people to answer. Um, maybe we'll start with Carol, just because I'm happened to be pointing at her as I speak. I think that the most interesting new directions will only be possible if the church genuinely is offering a more open kind of experience to scholars. And Donald Westbrook's PhD, which I have read, is one example of how that might happen. Now, Alad's already pointed out it's a very particular kind of example and the people he spoke to and what he was allowed to do were very location-specific and there were contextual factors. But that was an example of ordinary ethnographic work that any of us might imagine to do with any kind of ordinary organisation. So that is one absolute new direction the daily lives of ordinary Scientologists, people talking about their own experiences, not from a point of view of hierarchy or power, but from a point of view of lived religion or vernacular religion, the kind of approaches that are now very popular. Perhaps I'm slightly biased because it's related to my PhD topic, but I think that examining Scientologists outside the church is particularly important at the moment um, because... Uh, as we've already mentioned, to a certain extent, the um, the notion of the charismatic leader has been done to death. But if you think about um, Weber's idea of the uh, charisma of office, for example, uh, David Miscavige, the current leader of the church, has established a, a role of authority through being what's known as the chairman of the Religious Technology Centre, which protects Hubbard's work. So by being the president of an organization that protects Hubbard and, protect, and protects his legacy, he is lended an authority. 
But every single free zoner I've interviewed has nothing but negative things to say about David Miscavige, perhaps predictably. Um, so we're at that really exciting point with Scientology in that it is a new religious movement, but now that it is around 60 years old uh, and you've got second and third generations, we're seeing these schisms and we're seeing the challenges to the notion of charisma and how Hubbard's charisma can be used by different parties, different groups, to legitimize their own true version of Scientology. Um, what we were saying earlier about the Church of Scientology being the original, so to speak, well, L. Ron Hubbard's works have recently been completely republished by the Church uh, in the Golden Age of Knowledge and Golden Age of Tech initiative, uh, which means it has essentially changed. It is different, and but Ron's org, for example, which is a free zone group, uses editions of Dianetics from 1969 because the date of Hubbard's death is contested and so on. Um, so what I would say is is to move away from the notion of Scientology being the Church of Scientology, but to also look at how the authority of Hubbard is being used in different groups to legitimise their practice. Well, I have the joy of going last now. Yeah. They've eloquently said it all. Um, but, I mean, obviously, I, I agree with, with what's been said. Um, the church needs to be more open. I think it's incredibly interesting that Miscavige has done one interview. It's, I think, Nightline from 1994, 95, something like that. You know, it's easily, you know, gotten on, on YouTube. That's it. You know, not many religious leaders that don't have the public facing sort of, you know, uh, you know, view an interview that other, other people would do. Um, so a bit more openness from the leadership of the church and engagement, I think, rather than openness, engagement, I think is the word uh, I'm looking for. Um, and preference the bottom up, not the top down. Preference the everyday. You know, let's let's move beyond the institution and let's look at the lived, embodied, relative experience of everyday Scientologists. Stephen, Ballard, Carol, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, David. Thank you. I somehow suspect that, that we're going to get a bit of uh, we're going to get some response on this one, so you know, be warned. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, David. Um, We've been in touch with our lawyers already just to, to make sure that we're completely covered. Um, yeah, we, uh, we posted, um, well, Jonathan Tuckett took a picture and posted it on uh, social media. And a video as well, actually, just a, a very slight video. That's right, a little video. And we immediately had a, had a comment from a Scientologist asking whether a Scientologist was going to be taking part or not. And I assured him that no, because we're not an interfaith thing and Actually, part of the discussion we had was about the fact that there are, unlike some other traditions, there, there are no kind of prominent scholars of Scientology who are actually Scientologists, um, whereas some other subjects, I mean, specifically kind of paganism and um, esotericism, it's, it's, you know, it's populated by, uh, by people who are yeah. practitioners and uh, scholars. Yeah, indeed. And indeed, the study of the non-religious is populated by, um, right, yeah. by sort of yeah. insiders, if you will. It's, uh, it's an issue that goes right through the subject and cuts both ways. Yeah. This was excellent that we finally got that roundtable to happen. We've been wanting it to happen in sort of various forums, interviews, roundtables. It's also great that we've got that. Yeah. These, these things need to really need to happen in person to get the, the flow and the interplay 
working properly so it, it takes time to to sort them out properly fantastic well thank you for that david um another interview that happened in person um i mean this was a a, a new zealand based uh, scholar uh tom white um who uh, has done uh, quite a few interviews for us in the past um although he's he's uh, not uh, he's from New Zealand, uh, but New Zealand-based scholar speaking to an Australia-based scholar in Switzerland for a podcast based in Scotland. So it's truly international, but it happened in person. So hopefully we've got the, uh, <laughs> the, the flow that we're talking about. Um, Tom White's been speaking with uh, Marion Maddox on religion, education and politics in Australia and New Zealand. So this ties into a thread that's been running uh, throughout the um, first um term of RSB podcast for 2018-19. You may think back to a couple of weeks ago or one on the RE Commission or the one before that on uh, Muslim schools in Canada. So here it'll be great to hear about the Australia and New Zealand context. Uh, Particularly, yeah, how quote our subject unquote uh, manifests in in school contexts and the various political dimensions of that so thanks to tom we hope you come back for that don't forget to use our amazon affiliate links amazon.co.uk.com and .ca they really do make a big uh contribution to the rsp so you know when you're buying your christmas or thanksgiving gifts um you know uh, we'd appreciate it if you'd bear us in mind. It could uh, it could make a big contribution. Absolutely. So yes, Black Friday, Black Friday, Black Friday. How many times um, does a term have to be utilised before it becomes a tradition and marked on the calendar? I don't know. Twice. Twice. Thanks for listening. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The RSP is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation, charity number SCO 47750. Brought to you by founders and editors-in-chief Chris Cotter and David Robertson, and our managing editor Thomas J. Coleman III. Our features are edited by Jonathan Tuckett and our opportunities digest by Ella Bock. Podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock with audio editing by Gregory Schneider and Samuel Ward. Social media managed by Ray Radford and sales and marketing by Sammy Bishop. Don't forget you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, iTunes and other portals.